Something happened to me this week that has never happened to me in eight years of preaching. I finished my sermon on Thursday. Now, that wasn't the one thing that's never happened to me in eight years of preaching. But I finished my sermon on Thursday because we were going to homecoming in Stillwater this week. And, uh, and uh, we were going to the game last night. And I, I, my wife said, you got to get your sermon done. You can't be working on it all weekend. And so I, I diligently prepped and, and worked hard on it. I, I told my wife Thursday night, my head hurt so much because I was, I was trying to get it all done. And uh, I woke up Friday morning to, to, to look at it and finish a few things. And, uh, and it erased. It was gone. The, uh, the program rebooted or something and uh, it did not save. And uh, so I... That was the first time that's ever happened to me. And uh, the Lord had something else he wanted to speak to you about this morning. And so uh, we, got, we got it done and we're ready to go. So it's going to be exciting. It's Halloween today, right? That has nothing to do with missing the sermon. But um, I want to talk about it a little bit. It, <clears throat> the history of Halloween is interesting it likely has its roots in uh, a pagan Celtic holiday called Samhain. Uh, they believed on this day, at the end of the harvest, before the beginning of their new year, the spirits of the dead would haunt the living. So people would leave food and wine on their doorsteps to appease these spirits. And if they left their house, they would wear a mask uh, to fool the spirits or the ghouls. And in the ninth century, Pope Gregory IV moved All Saints Day to feast, the All Saints Day feast to November 1st to uh, kind of counter this pagan holiday. And vigils were held to celebrate the eve of All Saints Day, and it became known as Hallow's Eve. Hallow's the old English term for saints. And the Scots, they pronounced it Halloween. So that's where you get the term Halloween. Hallows Eve. And young people began dressing up in the costumes and became popular in the 16th century. It was called guising. They would sing, recite poems in exchange for treats. And there, there, there is still, since then, there's still some connection to darkness and death for sure. But the gospel brings people from darkness into light, from death to life. And so what does God do, right? He does these things. And so God chose on October 31st in the year 1517 as the day in which Martin Luther would swing the hammer and post on the door of the church in Wittenberg, the 95 Thesis, and began the Reformation, October 31st, 1517. You see, the gospel has spread at a rapid pace as the Holy Spirit would take the truths of this gospel to the ends of the earth. So All Hallows' Eve is known by us as Reformation Day. Amen? There you go. 
So October 31st is not just a day for nighttime candy collecting and guising for children. It is a day to tell them the sweet gospel of light of the world. To help them remember our gospel and those who courageously stand upon biblical truth. And why we know the gospel, these men of God during the Reformation stood upon that truth. The reformers of that day adopted a slogan from the Latin phrase, post tenebrus lux. In English, it means after darkness, light. So tonight, we will bring light into a dark world, and we call ours Lights Over Northwest. So happy Reformation Day to you, church, as we bring the gospel to kids looking for candy and guising. We will bring the gospel to them. The sermon blitz last week was fantastic, and uh, we moved quickly through Acts chapter 18 through 20. We saw the importance of teaching the gospel accurately. We understood what it means to be in Christ. We understood that the fear of the Lord brings about repentance and renewal of God's people. We saw the importance of community and doing the Christian life together. We saw the encouragement that the Lord brings to his church through certain circumstances in which he brings and the fact that he has given overseers to shepherd and care for the flock of God. And now this morning we turn to Acts chapter 21 as Paul now moves his face toward Jerusalem. You see, in before, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, it says this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And Paul, as he's making his way towards Jerusalem, he finds something out. He finds out that what is awaiting for him in Jerusalem is not candy and donuts. It's serious consequences in which the Spirit is telling him imprisonment, possibly death, is awaiting him. He knows that the fire is coming, but he knows that God has called him to testify to the truth of the gospel in Jerusalem and also in Rome. Acts twenty twenty two says this, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. The ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. May it be that we all finish the race in which God has called us. And when we face the fire, may uh, we walk through the fire. Let's look at what Paul's life looks like at the end as he faces the fire in Acts chapter 21. If you'll stand with me. In the reading of God's word of Acts chapter 21, verse 1. And when they had parted from them and set sail, we came 
by a straight course to Kos, and next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed for Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went to our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us, even until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and We greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Lord, the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were urging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truths of your word, the scriptures, which um, bring to life this life that you have given to us to live. And Father, may, may we not waste our life. May we live as people who are on mission, who are called by your grace to accomplish your will on the face of this earth. Lord, give us the strength as the people of God, the church of God, to do what you have called us to do, even if it means facing the fire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Three men in a foreign land once said, our God is able to deliver us from you, O King, and from the fiery furnace. And even if, even if he does not, we will not bow down to your golden image. Some of you guys know this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, no, we will not bow down to your image. We will face the fire. We will go into the fire. And our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we will still go into the fire. And the king responds, turn up the furnace 
They had a choice to make. What will they do? Will they walk into the fire? Will they bow down to other gods? Will they cower in fear of what they will have to walk through? Or will they stand up and be counted? And this is what Paul is feeling. He knows what going to Jerusalem will mean for him. Imprisonment, possibly death. And Paul is trusting in the sovereign plan of God. He is trusting in God's plan for his life. He is placing his life in the hands of God himself. You see, this is a man who all of his life has placed his life in the hands of the Lord. Let me read for you what Paul says about his hardship and his suffering. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Five times. Paul's back probably looked a little differently than our back. Three times I was beaten by rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul lived in the hands of God. Security and safety was not his number one goal. He was a man who was willing to take risks For the sake of the gospel. He suffered for the name of Christ. And now he's ready to walk into Jerusalem. To walk into the fire. What gives this man like this? That kind of courage or faith. You say, maybe, maybe I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of courage. To do what the Lord's called me to do, no matter the cost. Let's find out how Paul has that kind of courage. Verse 1. When he had parted from them, set sail, we came by a straight course of cost the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And he come to the side of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was unloaded its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us. 
until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we boarded the ship and they returned home. This is our first point this morning. and We see this in the family of God who comes together to pray. There is a deep love for one another in the family of God. That's our first point this morning. There is a deep love for one another in the family of God. Paul has one week. He finds the disciples of Christ. And before the end of the week is over, the children, the wives, all of the church is accompanying Paul to the beach in which they are kneeling down together to pray. What a beautiful picture. Paul has just spent time in Miletus with the Ephesian elders. Let me read for you what happened at the end of their time. As Paul encourages them, in chapter 20, verse 36, he said, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Whether it's the elders at Ephesus or just the normal disciples of Christ, the same thing is happening. The people of God are expressing a deep love for their brother Paul. What an intimate moment thinking about this. As these brothers and sisters of Christ are kneeling and and praying and, and weeping over their brother who is continuing to fight the good fight. To continue the race. There's not only care, but a a deeper love in the household or the family of God. Paul writes to Timothy that that the church is the household, the family of God. So let me ask you this question. In 1 Timothy 3.15 is where it says that it's it's the household or the family of God. What, What makes someone family? Let me ask you this. Is it their blood? Is it, is it their looks? They have to have the same blood as you? Is it, is it the looks that make someone family? Is it, is it the closeness? Is it living under the same roof? Well, you could definitely have look like somebody and not be family. You could definitely have blood but not consider them family. You could even be very close to someone and not be family. Even someone under your roof could not be family. Adoption. Beautiful picture of the gospel. One can be family and not be, look like someone, not be their blood. So what makes someone family? They call themselves family. The father says, these are my children. 1 John 3, 1 says this. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. 
And so we are. <laughs> we are called children of God, and so we are. And, and the children say, that is my father, right? Romans 8, 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Isn't that beautiful? God calls us his children through Christ. The sacrifice of the gospel. Christ's death upon the cross. And we, by the spirit of the living God that lives inside of us, cry out to our Father. Thus, we are in the family of God. We are his children. You see, that's why the family of God has a deep love for one another. Paul's looking for the disciples here in Tyre. And he finds them. And there's a deep connection. There's a deep love because we are children of the one true God. We are given the same spirit. We are of the same mind, which is the mind of Christ. We together lift one another up in prayer because we will endure this dark world together. Not separately, but together. Paul experiences this deep love before he moves into the fire. And while he walks through this in the next chapters, he's encouraged and strengthened from the body of Christ. Church, what's the application for us? It's for us to be open to be in the family of God. It's for us to be able to be encouraged to walk the will of God in our life. Because someday, you will face the fire. Brothers and sisters, we will need one another to pray for one another. To walk through it together. Rack, Shack, and Benny, they had one another in the fire. Daniel was their buddy too. They didn't have they weren't alone. The Christian life is not meant to walk alone. It's meant to walk in community. So let's look at verse 7 here. Then we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy. We greeted the brothers, stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. He's one of the seven first deacons, the servants in the church, who helped um, with the waiting of tables. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. <clears throat> now, 
women in the church, right? You can talk about this all day. We're not going to get sidetracked with this. This is for another time. But I would say this. Women in the church, they have a role in the church. And there's a great role for women in the church. Isn't that beautiful? So he has daughters who are involved in speaking the truth into the life of the church. And they're unmarried. He makes a note of it here. He thinks it's important for us to understand. And it is. All right, so where are we? And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound in his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were urging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready. For I am ready. Not, not he's not ready. For I am ready. Not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's ready. Paul is ready. This is point number two. God's people are faithful unto death. God's people are faithful unto death. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm ready to face death. It's interesting to think about on Halloween, right? On Hallow's Eve, on this day, how many people are afraid of death. Paul says, I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus. One thing is for certain, every person in this room at some point will die. That is for certain. Every person will walk through a fire-like experience in their life. Difficulties, trials, obstacles. But how can Paul walk through this boldly? confidently trusting in the Lord God Almighty. And I think that Luke is trying to tell us something in this passage by how he writes this story. How he tells us the story of this, of Paul getting ready to go in Jerusalem. And I think Luke is telling us that Paul is able to do this because there is one who is greater than Paul that made his face toward Jerusalem. Luke tells us that Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. Cody told us last week the kid fell out of a window as Paul was preaching through the night. He raised him from the dead. But there was one greater that raised Lazarus from the dead on his way to Jerusalem. Paul's friends said, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. That's not the plan that God has for you. There's one greater who had his friends tell him that he should not go to Jerusalem. Matthew 16, 21 recounts it for us. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Paul would certainly be accused by, falsely accused by the religious leaders. He would ultimately stand and choice, have a choice to make, and he would walk into the fire. But there would be one greater who would be falsely accused by the religious leaders. And knowing what he would face, in Luke 22, Luke recounts, 2241, and he withdrew from them a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Paul was able to walk towards Jerusalem into the fire because Jesus walked towards Jerusalem into the fire and overcame. The same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave now lives in Paul. And guess what? He now lives in you. God has given you, the church, the ability to live for something greater than yourself, and that is the glory of God. Greater than your safety or your security, but for the glory of the risen Savior and for His name to be exalted among the nations. It is into the fire the three men went in Babylon, and the king says, Wait, I see the men walking around in the fire unbound, and wait, I thought we only had three men. I see a fourth man with them, and his appearance is like the son of the gods. You see, some believe this is a picture of Christ, the Christophany. Christ in the Old Testament who walks with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fire. You see, Jesus does not promise we will not face the fire nor face death. But his promise is that he will be with us. Whatever you're facing this morning, church, we have some in our flock that are facing cancer. We have some in our flock that are facing financial difficulties. They're facing relationship issues. Know that our God is faithful to walk with you in the fire. May our life be a living and holy sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. Now verse 14 says this after he says, I'm ready He's going to be faithful until the end. But it says this, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. 
This is point number three this morning, and it's thus. Place your life in the hands of God. Place your life in the hands of God. If you look in the Bible and you read the Bible carefully, you'll understand that all of God's people who were used by God encountered an element of risk. Esther, Daniel, the fishermen who dropped their nets, Nicodemus at night, Paul, Jason in Thessalonica, Joshua, Moses, Abraham. Great risk for the kingdom of God. You know, we, we often sometimes build our life around the thought of safety. we just have an alarm system, if we lock our doors, if we make sure our airbags are on, if we don't go to these places, don't rock the boat too much at work, if we stay in our comfort zone, we will be safe. But safety is an illusion that can cause us not to fulfill the will of God for our life. God, God actually wants us to take risks with our life for the kingdom of God. Very, very little happens of any significance in the kingdom of God, in the life of an individual, in the church, or in an organization that does not involve taking risks. Now, I'm not talking about foolish risk at all. We're talking about Christ-exalting risk. I'm not talking about risk for self-centered pleasures, but rather risks for the name of Jesus to be exalted among the nations. Paul himself in his life, he's escaping out of baskets. He's fleeing the town in the middle of a mob. We're not talking about throwing yourself into the lion's mouth. We're talking about not cowering in fear what God has called you to, being faithful to God's promises. We don't know what tomorrow brings, church. We just came out of a pandemic. Safety, talk about safety. James 4.13 says this, come now, you'd say today or tomorrow, we will go and do such and Go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Esther, before she enters into the king's presence... And as she enters in the king's presence, she knows that she will be killed unless the king offers the scepter. And as she's about to enter into the presence of the king on behalf of God's people, 
She says, if I perish, I perish. Three men who go into the fiery furnace say, our God is able, but if not, we will not worship your gods, O king. Why do these people say if? Because there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that God will give them safety. There's no guarantee, Paul's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. There's no guarantee that I'm going to be safe. Probably not, but I'm ready to die to testify to the gospel, not only to Jerusalem, but also to Rome. They trust God and they place their life in his hands. Church, what happens if we don't risk for the kingdom of God? What happens if we don't? You say, well, I know the Lord is leading me to some, to, to, to some radical changes in my life, but I think I'm, I'm just going to continue to do what I do because it is safe. I believe there's a story about that in the Bible. Twelve spies go into the land the Lord has promised. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. There is so much food. And two men are like, let's go for it. The Lord is with us. Let's, let's do it. There's no guarantee. But God has said in his promises and his word that, that he will give it to us. And he will. So let's go. Let's do it. And ten are like, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth it. And for the next 40 years, the people wander around aimlessly. Now church, I I hope that there's not people in this room that have wandered around for 40 years waiting to do what God has called them to do. But if you are, it's time. It's time to stand up and say, Lord, what do you want from my life? I'm yours. I'm here. I'm ready to go. You see, this is a deadly mindset in the kingdom of God to say it's not worth the risk. Killing dreams of people in the name of security. These people in this passage are trying to help Paul. They're saying it's not, it's not worth the risk, Paul, to go to Jerusalem. Yet Paul's going, it's my call. This is the, what the Lord has told me to do. We can't waste our life. We have to live every area of our life like Paul in the hands of God. Here's some areas that we can begin taking risks for the kingdom of God. Relationships. What does that mean? It means opening up your life to let other people in. Loving someone that may at some point hurt you is risk. But love, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, endures suffering. You may get burned in the local church. You will get burned. I'm a pastor. I know this. You have a relationship with people. 
You open yourself up, and at some point, they're going to hurt you. It happens. Yet, there's beautiful relationship in deep, trustworthy relationships in the kingdom of God. God has designed for that kind of fellowship for his people. And we need that. Yes, it is risky. Yet the Lord has provided people, even in this flock, who love the Lord, offer grace to one another, and love one another according to His grace. Don't waste your life. Live in relationship with people. Next area, we can begin to take risk in money. Give sacrificially for the kingdom of God. Instead of building bigger barns, why not give and advance the kingdom in ways that others would say, man, you're crazy. You are crazy for doing that. Luke 21, 1 says this, Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting the gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Taking risk for the kingdom of God, I'll tell you what, Jesus talks about this, will be very, very rewarding. to See the gospel advance, people's lives changed through your giving. And guess what? The love of money corrupts people. One of the ways in which we, we, we make sure and protect our hearts is through giving. I've seen many people destroyed because of their money and their love of money. Don't waste our life. Risk in the area of finances for the kingdom of God. The last area we should risk is our ministry, our time our effort, our work. God has been speaking to our people. I've seen it. Whether it's to lead a ministry, start a ministry, go on a mission trip to a Muslim country, be on the worship team, start supper club, be a pastor, join a community group, start a community group. The Lord is leading our people to do things that they have never done before. When, when we see our brothers and sisters come up on the stage and sing, and they have not sang before, guess what? That's the spirit of the living God. And that's them saying, you know what? I'm going to get up here and do it. It's risk. When our brothers and sisters, when our brothers get up and preach the word, it's risky to get up and do it. When we go and share the gospel with our neighbor, it's risky. When we start a new ministry, when the Lord gives us a vision, we say, let's do this. It's risky. Why? Well, there's a variety of reasons why, but we know those. The Lord has called us to be people who walk with him above anything else. 
How about the lady who gave her entire estate to the church recently? It's amazing. God calling people to love Christ and live his mission. New Testament stuff here going on in our church today. Somebody, somebody sold a piece of property and gave the church a bunch of money. That happened in our church. It happened in Acts and it happened in our church. I mean, it's incredible. And there's nothing more exciting as a pastor than to see people stepping out in faith and saying, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm willing to walk his path, what he's called. May God continue to raise up Caleb's and Joshua's in this room that say, let's go for it, for our God is with us. And may we be a church that come alongside of these people raised up by the Holy Spirit who have a vision and passion for reaching people with the gospel and say, let's do it, I'll help you. That's the kind of church we are. And that's the kind of church that I wanna be a part of. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we face the fire, we are people who according to your Holy Spirit will live bold, exciting lives, willing to risk for the kingdom of God because you're worth it. And Father, we know that what lies ahead is not easy. These decisions we make will be filled with tears and suffering and pain. But yet you have called us. And Father, we, we know as your children that you love us, that you see us. And Father, I look back at the, the story of Acts and I, I think of Stephen who's boldly proclaiming the gospel. He's, he's risking his life to share with these religious men the gospel of truth, calling them to faith in Jesus. Father, you don't rescue him from being martyred. Father, you do something greater. You open up heaven and allow him to see you in the throne. It is to recognize that you are with us even if you don't rescue us from the fire. And fa Father, I, I think of that, that story and how Paul would witness Stephen's death and be changed forever. When you came to him, and Father, the rest of the book, telling us about this man who would live boldly and risk it all for the kingdom of God. May we be people who risk it all for the kingdom of God. May we go to the nations. May we share with our neighbor. May we be a church that loves you more than this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.